Thank you for tuning into the Monocle Dynasty Podcast, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Your hosts, Crescent and John, dive deep on players, rankings, strategies, and much more. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Monocle Dynasty. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be keeping an eye on the Scott Fishbowl. I'm guessing a lot of you listening do know what the Scott Fishbowl is, but obviously there's some of you or, you know, some random people that might just like stumble upon our our podcast that don't know what it is. And so basically it's just a huge tournament style of fantasy football. It's a redraft style with extremely specialized scoring and uh, you have 1,440 people that get in. And then in the end, there's one winner. And that winner gets a lot of accolades and, and a lot of love and, and a lot of respect. And, and rightfully so. I mean, that's a, a huge tournament. You, we all get excited when we win our 12-man league. Imagine just winning a 1,400-man league. <laughs> so um, we're going to be talking about that the scoring system. We're going to be talking about some of the players that we like. Obviously, we always like to do the deep dives and not just talk about the, the everyday players and everyone's talking about. Um, but first we wanted to bring up the potathon, and so I'll bring on Crescent and then he can kind of go over, uh, what's going on with the potathon that's starting tonight at 8 PM. Well, you're, you won't hear this until tomorrow morning, but it's starting Sunday at 8 PM Eastern time and going for 24 straight hours. So, uh, what's up Crescent? How are you doing? Doing good. Um, John didn't mention this, but we are actually in this tournament. That's one of the reasons why we're covering this is um, my, my Twitter handle was selected for the tournament. And so I told John, you know, no matter what, like if he got in or not, well, if he got in, he would just have his own team. But if not, we were going to kind of team up and, you know, take this tournament down together. Um, yeah, I'm not as so, big time as, as Crescent. So, you know, he got in, I didn't, but, you know, <laughs> but we're, we're going to go ahead and tag team this thing. <laughs> um, and so the the potathon that they put on by I think it's organized by Sal Leto um, and one of our good friends Dave Wright um, at FF underscore Spaceman he he's been working with donations and stuff they actually just passed twenty thousand dollars in donations um, for the potathon and so they've been raising a bunch of money um, that goes to a lot of great causes the the fishbowl typically is associated with Fantasy Cares which is a, um, a charity that Scott Fish is kind of headed up and where they get, you know, a bunch of Christmas presents and stuff for, for kids that, you know, aren't getting those things, right. They're trying to bring joy around December to the, these groups. And I think this year we're also donating um, a lot of the money is going to the equal justice initiative as well. Um, EJI. And so this is just like a really big charity event and like this amazing thing that's you know, that Scott kind of organizes in general. And then all these other people have helped and put in a bunch of man hours and, and women hours and everything to, to get all this stuff done. Um, and so on this potathon, you'll have like the biggest names of the biggest names. We, we hope one day we'll be big enough to be invited to, to do one of the half hour slots. Yeah, that'd be um, cool. But we, we bought a sponsorship. So we, we sent some money in, um, is part of this because it's it's all for charity it's all to help you know great causes and we were given two half hour slots um, i believe our first half hour slot is with liz loza 
So we're really looking forward to her doing the reading that we, we kind of put in for our sponsorship. And then John, who was our second half hour? Who was it? FF Hitman, Mike Wright. And actually, I don't think that they'll be doing the reading, but it's just their interview, like their, their hour. I'm pretty sure Sal will probably be doing the reading, but that would be pretty cool if they did. <laughs> so that look forward to, to listening to that. There's going to be a ton of great like info and stuff going on. And I think you can follow the, I think it's at SFB Potathon and you'll be able to, I think they have the links to the, you know, to listen and to follow live and everything like that. Cause it's, it's 24 hours. So there's always going to be someone on. They even, they've already posted like who's going to be on in the different slots. So definitely go check that out. Yeah. They have some really, really good guests, especially like huge names on Twitter. If you guys are, are part of Twitter, you've probably seen all of these people. Uh, but even just, you know, beyond Twitter. I mean, you have names like Matthew Barry and, uh, and then like the new hotness, like Ray GQ. <laughs> so like, there's so many different ones. I mean, but it's, it's 30 minutes each and there's, you know, so there, you're talking about 48 different interviews and there's a lot of big names there. So it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I wasn't as into like Scott Fishbowl and all that stuff last year. And so I did not listen to the Potathon. So this will be my first experience with it. But if anyone that knows me knows I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so I promise you, I will listen to every single minute of that 24 hours. <laughs> so we are going to get started by talking about, there's like a very unique thing with the Scott Fishbowl and something that I think leagues in general should consider if you're a super flex league, because a lot of times in super flex leagues, quarterbacks get overvalued and you end up playing like even very mediocre or poor quarterbacks sometimes end up getting that super flex spot over much better players. But because of scoring, you have to put the quarterback in because you're just going to get more points. So what Scott fish did was he tried to neutralize that a little bit and make it a little more fair. So the, the setup for this is that you're, it's, it is a super flex. So you have one QB spot, two RBs, three wide receiver, a super flex or a tight end, a super flex spot. And I think it's three more flexes. Um, yeah, I think it's 11 starters and then you have 11 spots on the bench. So it's 22 rounds. It's a slow draft, but for quarterbacks, it's six point touchdown, but it's also four points for negative four for interceptions and add on top. If that interception gets returned for pick six, it's an additional negative two. You also lose a point for every sack that your quarterback takes. You lose a point for every incompletion that they have as well. Now, you do get 0.5 points for completions, but as you can see already, that's going to heavily impact some people. And in fact, like Jameis Winston, who was one of the fantasy darlings last year um, in most regular leagues, who I think he was QB2 or QB3 in point per QB3, game or something like that. Yeah. And he, he ended up finishing as like back in QB2 with the Scott Fishbowl settings or something like that. So yeah, I was going to say, he's one of the ones that you do not want in that situation. <laughs> yeah, obviously like he's pick six king. Um, so that's one of the things that is really unique about this. The rest of it is pretty much half point PPR with the exception of first down. So you get a point per first down for running back or for rushing and for receiving. So that does add a little bit of a different element to things because some guys aren't big first down monsters and some are huge on it, right? Like those are guys that rely on it. Yeah. So one of the reasons why we wanted to do this pod was obviously we're excited about the Scott Fishbowl uh, and we're excited to be a part of it and be in it. Uh, but the other thing is I think 
you know, kind of like Crescent said, like this can be applied to other leagues. Like this could be applied to your league. So it's also kind of like a commissioner type pod where we're saying like, you know, here's some ideas of how you can kind of neutralize some of these uh, players that you might not, you know, you, you might not want the 28th quarterback to matter or something like that, you know? So, um, you know, and then I think the only other thing that, that uh, Crescent didn't talk about, maybe he did was uh, the tight, tight ends. They get an extra half point uh ppr and they get an extra half point for a first down so you know that makes tight ends a lot more important but it really only makes the tight ends that are catching the ball quite a bit that much more important if you have a tight end that catches two balls for 32 yards and a touchdown that's not really going to change that scoring substantially or anything like that but when you have somebody like a travis kelsey or something then it's huge um and, and obviously we'll be getting into the like those individual players and everything a little bit later on but as far as the strategy goes um i basically i've been following peter howard for a long time obviously we've had him on the podcast before and uh you know he the man knows his numbers whether he wants to admit it or not (laughs) he tries to act like he's not a genius or or like he's not uh like he's not a professional at it but i mean the, the man puts out some really quality models and and uh charts and so I've been following him and whether it's important or not, he kind of throws a lot of stuff out there. So not everything is going to make perfect sense the first time you look at it. But as you start looking at things as a whole, you start realizing like wide receivers in this, you know, in this aspect, in this scoring system are kind of devalued. I mean, not like terribly, but uh, one thing that I noticed is over the past four seasons, only three wider, or actually, I didn't notice it. I mean, this is from Peter Howard. <laughs> it's, it's not like I picked up on something. He basically picked up on it. But um, over the last four seasons, only three wide receivers have made the top 12 players in points per game scoring. One was Michael Thomas last year, which is like, you know, an unbelievable season. And and he finished fourth. So he wasn't even like, you know, top three, top two, whatever. Um, and then no wide receivers made the cut in 2018 and two wide receivers finished 10th and 11th in 2017. Now I know the scoring changes every year, but I don't think it's really changed that much to where, uh, you know, all of a sudden like a wide receiver is going to be the number one player in points per game or anything like that. Obviously that doesn't mean that you don't want to go draft good wide receivers and get that advantage. But uh, I definitely think you don't want to be going wide receiver early or doing like a zero RB approach or anything like that. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I I agree. Pretty much everyone I've been talking to, um, everyone in the different chats that I'm in is pretty much said, you know, avoid wide receiver until round four. Now, obviously, not everyone's going to do that. People are going to try to zig and zag, right, and take wide receiver. Some have even talked about going wide receiver, wide receiver. I think Peter Howard himself posted a, a thing looking at going wide receiver, wide receiver, and how that actually wasn't nearly that bad you know in comparison with going QB QB or running back running back or something like that so it'll be interesting to see what what happens we have the the we have the turn so we have the 12 pick so we're going to be either starting a lot of rallies around different positions or we're going to be behind the eight ball we're going to have to reach at times but that's the that's the way it is right depending on where you're drafting so what, what we've decided to do is we went through and we, we tried to find some guys that aren't necessarily being talked a lot about. Like there's guys like Drew Brees that have been brought up a lot and everyone's loving Drew Brees in this format. Like I feel like I've and seen Derek that Carr for some reason. A bunch. Derek Carr. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk Cousins. Right. So like these guys that 
I feel like people are talking about a lot and I've seen being drafted decently early. Like I, I've only done one mock because I also think these mocks just aren't realistic enough and it's tough to, to trust them and even trust mock data, right? Like I think we've seen that in the past with, with Scott fishbowls. So what we're, we're trying to do is just think about like who are guys that are going to benefit that aren't really being talked a lot about. And so if you are in Scott fishbowl, like, you know, maybe this can help you. If not, these are also just guys we also like in general, right? So if we like them in this format, we also just like them in general because we think they're going to be good at their, their spots. Um, and so we're going to start with QB and I'm going to go with a guy that there's a lot of question marks around. And this guy could be someone that wins you a league or loses you the league, depending on where you're getting him. But I'm going to go with big Ben, um, Obviously, we don't know how far he is into rehab. We don't know how that elbow is feeling. We do know he's throwing footballs, right? So he's on, he seems to be on the right path. Um, we don't know how long it takes quarterbacks to heal from Tommy John surgery, right? We don't know the difference between how it impacts a quarterback and how it impacts, you know, a pitcher, right? We know in, I know in baseball, because I'm a big baseball guy, that it usually takes pitchers about 18 months to come back and be, you know, themselves. But that also be includes them being stretched out, all this other stuff. Um, it doesn't seem like you need that kind of thing for a quarterback. And the studies and things I've been reading have said it's closer to nine months. Um, and we'll, we'll have to see where he's at. But his numbers, right, his 2018 numbers would have put him at quarterback two for Scott Fishbowl. His, and those numbers were insane. So it's tough to think, oh, he's going to replicate that. That honestly was the best year of his career. Um, so I went back and I looked at, okay, let's look at his 2017 numbers. His 2017 numbers would have made him QB 13 in Scott Fishbowl last year. So he's just on the back end of QB one, right? So that's a pretty good super flex starter to have. I took his three-year average from his last three healthy years, 16, 17, 18. It would have put him at QB seven. This is a guy that I have not heard anyone talk about at all. I haven't seen anyone post about him. I haven't seen anyone bring anything up. He's an accurate quarterback. So we know accuracy is important because you have incompletions that are costing you points. So you, to break even, you need to have a quarterback that's at 66.6% completion rating, right? That's just to break even. And so he's been around that and he's had years where he's over that. Now, he also has a top O-line. Prior to th last year, right, with the Rudolph-Hodges experiment, the Steelers O-line ranked top 10 in sack rate, both um, in 18 and 17. They were number four in 2018. They were number seven in 2017, right? This is not a bad O-line. And since we're losing points on sacks, you also have to take that into consideration. You want an O-line that's going to be able to protect your quarterback, and you want a quarterback who knows to get rid of it quickly. Ben has a lot of options on this team, right? Everyone loves Deontay Johnson. Everyone loves Juju. Smith. People love James Conner. Um, I've talked about Ebron being a sleeper, right? He has a lot of options and a lot of ways to get the ball out quickly. I think that he's someone that's being slept on a lot. Um, in fact, in that mock, which once again, like I said, it's tough to take things seriously. I got him in the seventh round, right? So he was my second quarterback. And, he, you know, there were a bunch of people taken ahead of him. There are people like Baker Mayfield was taken ahead of him. And I know John loves Baker, but Baker's accuracy and all like, and he is very turnover prone himself. Um, Joe Burrow was taken ahead of him. 
Daniel Jones, who we know, right, like is not the most accurate guy. That's going to really hurt him. He was taken ahead of him. James um, Winston Light. Yeah, Derek Carr went two rounds ahead of him. All these guys were flying ahead of Big Ben. I just – I don't see why they should be. No, I agree. I, I think, you know, like you, you mentioned it, the only thing that we're really worried about is his elbow. And, I mean, if it wasn't for his elbow, you would say he's a stone-cold lock in the top ten. So, you know, the fact that he's going behind some of these guys is kind of crazy. And it's just, you know, a lot of it is recency bias. Like, he didn't play last year, so people forget about him. And and so, you know, he just doesn't get drafted. Now, obviously, you might have a Steelers fan that ends up drafting him in the top ten in your league. But, you know, that uh, that doesn't mean it's going to happen in, in every single one. He he went QB 22 in this mock. See, that's that's crazy. Like, I could understand – if you were a little nervous about it, like maybe, you know, like QB 16, QB 17, something like that. But, you know, QB 22, especially in this scoring system, like there's not 21 other quarterbacks that are going to score more points than, than Ben Roethlisberger. It's not going to happen. The one that I picked was actually um, a, a name that I've mentioned quite a few times in pods and, and especially during our happy hours is uh, Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, Crescent already mentioned it, but you have to hit 66% of your passes or, you know, complete 66% of your passes just to break even in the scoring. And so you need an accurate quarterback, or if you don't have an accurate quarterback, you need somebody that's going to make up for it in other aspects of the game. And Bridgewater has averaged 65.86% for a completion rate in his three years as a starter in the NFL. He's only had three full years as a starter and he's averaged basically 66%, which is what you need. Um, he's averaged a 1.4% interception rate the last two years in New Orleans. Now, obviously, that is not a large sample size. And so it's extremely difficult to say, like, you know, it's going to stay that low because that's also pretty low. I mean, uh, Ben Roethlisberger averages 2.6%. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's always going to stay that way or it's going to stay that low, but even if, as long as it's like 2% or something, it's not going to hurt him. Um, the only real like knock against Bridgewater is his sack rate, even when he was with Minnesota is a little bit higher than what I would like to see. You're losing a, a full point for a sack. And so, you know, it's, it's really the difference of like 15 sacks over the course of the year. I was looking at like Patrick Mahomes just to kind of compare like one of the best quarterbacks in the league to Bridgewater. And it was like a 15 point difference over the course of the season. So that's not really enough for me to like freak out about it or, or lose my mind about it. But the thing is, is that the Panthers are going to pass the ball 600 plus times this year. And so if he can have that high completion rate and he has Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and even Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel and, and every Ian Thomas, you know, like he has all those players, like he's going to score touchdowns. He's going to get a lot of yards because of all those attempts. I mean, he's probably going to be, he's definitely going to be top five in attempts, I would assume. Uh, he very well could be the highest, you know, pass attempt total. So, you know, I don't know exactly where he's going. I don't have the, uh, the the numbers in front of me as far as like mock drafts and everything, but I can only imagine that Bridgewater's going pretty late. Crescent, do you know where he went in, in your draft, in your mock, I mean? I, I grabbed him right after Big Ben. I had to turn, so I took Ben and Bridgewater as my QB2 and QB3. So okay. he went so, 23. QB 23, 
And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because we, we realized uh, once we were doing the show sheet that, um, that our wide receivers were like right next to each other in, in ADP in these uh, mocks. And I guess the, the quarterbacks are right next to each other as well. So, you know, there's just, there's not going to be 20 plus quarterbacks that are going to score more points in this scoring setting than Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, Bridgewater's a steal in regular drafts, but in Scott Fishbowl, I, I really do think he's a, a great steal. So one thing I will bring up, and I'm going to talk about this analyst in a little bit, but Ryan Miller has been putting out a lot of like really awesome content in relation to Scott Fishbowl. And he talked about wins and the importance of wins for quarterbacks. And he, he said the highest Scott Fishbowl X score of a quarterback with six or fewer wins was 55th out of the 270 qualifiers. It was Cam Newton. Um, so that's something to think about too, is like, you might want to be grabbing QBs that are on winning teams because that also tends to lead to better efficiency because you're in the lead more and you, right, like you're not, you know, being forced to come from behind, which tends to lead to more interceptions and other issues as well. So that's the one real cautionary piece I would have about Teddy Bridgewater's. I don't think the Panthers are winning six games this year, um, but, you know, you're, I guess, like we showed, you can probably get them as your QB three. And that to me is still, that's still pretty valuable to have. Well, that being said uh, in Minnesota, he wasn't really winning in his first year, at least like they did win 11 games in his second year. um, But he still had a 64.4% completion rate. So, I mean, it is lower, but it's not like it was in the fifties or anything like that. And they only won uh, six games that, or he only won six games that year. So I, I'm not guaranteeing anything. And yeah, you're right. The Panthers are probably not going to win too many games, you know, especially in that, that tough division, everything that's going on there. But um, you know, getting him at QB 23, I, it's just one of those things where you can, if you have to wait, or if you end up, you know, reaching on someone else and then waiting for quarterback later on, I would definitely take him. And I, I think it also, he also benefits from playing against a really weak defensive division, right? Like, we know the Falcons aren't that good. We've seen the Saints be Jekyll and Hyde, like be amazing some weeks and then, right, get absolutely torched in other weeks. And Tampa, like we know they have a really good run D, but their pass D was, you know, questionable, at least middle of the road by the end of the year, like they improved. But it's one of those things that you could see someone taking advantage in a division like that. That's also why like guys like Breeze are, you know, being hyped up as well, because they get to face two really bad defenses four times um, with the Panthers and, and also with um, with the Falcons. Now, the other thing with Bridgewater is the week 13 thing, the buys. So there's two teams that are on buy for week 13, and that's the first week of playoffs for Scott Fishbowl. And that is the Panthers and the Bucks. So there's a strategy, like you get those guys every week for the regular season, but then you lose them come playoff time. Or you do the other, you go to the other route and you lose a guy during a week, like during the regular season, but you have him for the playoffs. So it's one of those questions of, is it worth it to grab them just to make sure you get in the playoffs? Because that in itself is a big accomplishment in a tournament like this. Um, It's something to add to the resume. But we also know we don't, we either want to finish first or we want to finish last. So you got to think about which strategy is going to help you in that. Yeah, definitely. I, 
I think with that, we've decided at least that we are, we would rather, you have to get to the show to do it. So we're not going to worry about the, the playoffs until we get there, but we want the players to get us there. And uh, the other thing is because I have heard other people talking about it on Twitter and everything else talking about, uh, you know, the Panthers and the Bucks and should you draft them? Should you not draft them? And if that's the case, then maybe you'll get a slight discount on those players, which they're great players. You're talking about CMC, DJ Moore, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronk, who, you know, even OJ Howard, like whoever, those are great players that you're going to want on your team. If you can even get a slight discount on those players, then I definitely give me all of them. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if you're passing on CMC, you've made a mistake. I'll just say that. If you have 101 and you're not taking CMC, I think you're doing it wrong. You think we'll, you think we'll get him at 12? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would name my next son Christian McCaffrey if I got him at 12. <laughs> there you go. Um, so please pass that news to the rest of the people in my league. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in the Connect Four League. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump to running backs now. Um, I'm going to go with a deep sleeper running back, and I'm getting this information from Ryan Miller, once again, at Ryan Miller NFL. And he did this breakdown um, of these, you know, of the tiers for running back, quarterback, wide receiver, tight end. He's talked about running backs particularly. And so when he looked at them, he talked some about some of the four stats that you need for a running back in order for them to even be worth being on your roster in this format. And it came down to you, you, you need to have someone involved in the pass game. Um, if they're not involved in the pass game, then they need to be getting at least, at least 250 carries to have value as like in the RB one, two range. So like Derrick Henry's fine. Cause he's getting a crap ton of carries. Um, right. We know he's not getting much in the pass game, but you want someone in the pass game because you need those first down points from receiving. That's what makes CMC so amazing. He's getting, you know, I think he was top 13 in pass first downs, right, in reception first downs. And obviously he was a beast on rushing first downs. So, but you you also, he posted that no running backs under 50 targets and 150 carries finished top 100 outside of Tevin Coleman. So it came down to you, if you're looking later at running backs, if you do go zero RB, which I do not recommend, Right, you need to be targeting running backs that have 70 target upside and 90 plus carries over the course of the season. So when I looked at that criteria, and he gave a list of guys, there's like Tariq Cohen and people like that. One guy he didn't mention that I think fits perfectly in this, and we've brought him up in our buy sell with the AFC South, is Duke Johnson. Last year alone, Duke Johnson had 83 carries, 62 targets. So he's right at that threshold, right of 70, 90. Um, he's now behind David Johnson who we know is about one sneeze away from throwing out his back for the rest of the season. And so because of all that, this is a guy that could potentially get some major touches and a lot of run. And we talked about there's no one behind him, right? There's not a soul behind Duke Johnson that's worth having on a roster. No offense to those guys that worked hard and got on the practice squad. They're not anywhere near the, the level of Duke and David Johnson. So I could even see, grabbing one like grabbing David maybe at the the three four turn for us like gives us a guy that we think is going to get a lot of touches and then grabbing Duke later um to kind of solidify the Texans backfield because the Texans backfield has been gold in fantasy um 
with Watson and everyone else, like they've actually, whoever they shoved back there, Lamar Miller produced Carlos Hyde, who everyone thought was dead. He produced, right? Like a thousand yards. Yeah. That's so I think that these are guys like, I think Duke Johnson could be someone that could win you Scott Fishbowl if something happened to David Johnson. And even if he doesn't, he still has flex appeal because his ability to get first downs with receiving and, you know, the handful of rushes he's going to get are going to be probably third down attempts, draw plays. Maybe he scoots out a couple first downs from that as well. But I, I think he fits that criteria that Ryan Miller was talking about. Yeah, definitely. And and what are you paying? Like, what price are you paying for him? Because I can't imagine that it's it's very high at all. I mean, you're probably talking about, like, running back four prices, something like that. So, I mean, in that mock, he wasn't even – we went 14 rounds. He did not get drafted. Um, like – you know, I, I'm going to go through and I'll count how many guys got drafted, but, oh, actually, sorry, he did. He got drafted in the 12th. I missed his name. So he got drafted in the 12th round. Um, there's a lot of running backs ahead of him. I'll try to count them up and I'll give it to you in a moment while you talk about your guy. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So my guy, and this kind of works for both like redraft and, uh, you know, regular redraft and the Scott Fishbowl, but uh, Leonard Fournette might actually be the steal of the draft because, you know, Crescent just talked about how you either need 200, at least 250 carries, or you need to have like a receiving floor. And he has both. Like he's one of the few players that actually has both, especially going, uh, I know Crescent told me that he went as a running back 17 in his mock draft. So, I mean, if you're getting him anywhere close to that, uh, then you're getting an absolute steal because yes, his targets will probably come down from last year. I don't think he's going to get a hundred targets, but you know, he, he will get some targets and he will definitely be getting a good amount of carries. There's no one else on that team. That's going to be stealing carries from Reichel Armstead. Isn't going to, and I can promise you, Chris Thompson isn't going to steal any carries. He might take some receptions, but you know, that's fine. Like we're, we're kind of expecting that. He actually averaged 18 carries and five receptions per game last season. So if we extrapolate that out, that would be 288 carries over a 16-game pace. And then, you know, five receptions is going to come down. So if we just go off his three-year average for receptions, it would put him at 59 receptions for the year. So you're talking about 288 carries and 59 receptions. Um, then, you know, of course, everyone's going to say, but he can't score touchdowns, you know. Well, he had a 3.3% touchdown rate in 2017, which is low, but the Jaguars suck. So, like, that's kind of expected. Um, then he had a 3.9% rate in 2018. It went up a little bit. And then he had a point or a 0.8% rate in 2019. <laughs> so you tell me which one of those sounds like the outlier. Cause I don't think it's that he can't score touchdowns. I think it's that everything just completely went in the wrong direction. And it was just, it was just a fluke. That's all it was. So if you just regress him back to even like a 3% rate, you're talking about a substantial amount of touchdowns and you're probably going to be looking at, at the very least a top 10 running back especially in this scoring format, uh, possibly even higher than that. Uh, and, and, you know, that's even with him regressing in the, in the receiving department. Yeah. I, I think he's going to regress in receiving no matter what, just like I've talked about this a lot, like the change in offense is going to lead to less targets for, for the running back um, as they switch over to, to Jay Gruden as the coordinator. But I think RB 17 still 
really low for him. Um, Duke Johnson, by the way, in that was exactly RB48. So just at the back end of an RB4, <laughs> right? That's crazy. I think that's like, there's guys like Matt Breda that should not be going ahead of him or, or Kevin Coleman, um, you know, Tony Pollard. Like these are guys that are not, not going to see nearly as much run, I think as Duke and have the chance that Duke has to kind of take over a lead role. Um, I think there's much higher likelihood of David Johnson getting hurt than there is of like Ezekiel Elliott, right. Getting hurt or, or even Coleman taking that backfield back, which I, I don't think happens either. So, all right, now we jump over to wide receiver. Um, I'm going with a guy that is going, you know, another late, late wide receiver. He went round 11 um, for this mock that I did, and that's Julian Edelman. Now, we don't know what the, what the offense is going to look like, because the Patriots have had Tom Brady basically for the, almost the entire time I've watched football. Um, they had the four games in 2016 that he, he was suspended for, and they started Jimmy G, and then Jimmy G got hurt, and they had to put in Jacoby Brissett, who was a rookie, and right didn't know squat, didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, during that time frame, Edelman had 27 targets on 105 attempts. So about a 26% target share. Edelman last year was 14th in first downs. Um, there still really isn't receiving threats, right? They don't have tight ends that are going to take away targets from him. Yeah, we can hope that Harry, um, Nikhil Harry is going to step up and do something more or Muhammad Sanu can be, you know, can be a little more productive, but Edelman's probably still the main target in that offense. And while Cam isn't known for targeting slot receivers, in fact, like he had a really low um, percentage of his throws going towards the slot back in 2018 when he, I'm looking at his last full healthy year, but his weapon was Jarius Wright, right? Jarius Wright ran like 300 something yards out of the slot compared to DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel who ran not even half of that combined. And so Cam's never had a target like Edelman out of the slot and while they're not going to throw the ball 600 plus times like they did with Brady, um, I still think that Edelman's value is going to be way more than where he's being drafted in the, you know, the middle of the 11th. And I think, you know, in this mock like that, that just seems crazy to me that he's going that far back when we know he's a first down monster and that's going to really help him in getting more points. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's going to be, like he's going to be forgotten by a lot of people because I'm sure as soon as Brady left, people com or at least some people just completely wrote him off and just scratched him off their list. Um, that being said, I don't know. If, I really don't think he has like a high ceiling, but you know, just I mean, this is more of like he's probably going somewhere in like wide receiver forty, and he'll probably you know in, in like around that area, and he'll probably finish as like wide receiver thirty. So. I'm, you know, if, if that's the case, like you are getting a bump there, like you're getting a value boost, but you know, the, the big thing is that Cam Newton has never had, uh, or he's only had two years with over 500 attempts. And those two years were 517 and 510 attempts. So, you know, like any other year he's been around like 480, 490, something around there. So if we go ahead and give Cam Newton 500 attempts, and then let's just assume that, 
uh, Edelman's target share comes down a little bit just because it's not Brady and he's not used to throwing to the the um, slot receiver that much and everything. So let's give Edelman a 24% target share. You're talking about uh, 80 receptions for 869 yards, 50 first downs, which obviously in this scoring format matters because he does get first downs. Now, once again, we have nothing to base this off of except for going, you know, the past however many years of being on the Patriots with Tom Brady, but the guy gets a lot of first downs. Um, and then five touchdowns because he does not score touchdowns. So <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. Uh, that would give him 181 points in this format, which I think we figured out was wide receiver 30 last year. Um, and then were you looking it up to see where he was drafted? Yeah, I think in the mock he was he was drafted like wide receiver 38. or Yeah, I think wide receiver 38 was what it was. Okay. So, I mean, you know, you, you are getting a bump there. It's not, and maybe it's not like going to win your season or anything, but this is probably assuming that you're, you're waiting at wide receiver. And so at that point, you're going to need all the value you can get, um, which, you know, it brings us to the next one, which is going right around where Edelman is going and that's golden Tate. And, you know, I just, I've seen a lot of Darius Slayton love. I've even seen some Sterling Shepard love on Twitter. I have yet to see Golden Tate love on Twitter from anyone. And uh, I really feel like he's just completely being forgotten. And I, I don't understand it. Like he was clearly the number one wide receiver on that team last year. And yes, he did get suspended and he missed the four games, but he averaged 7.7 targets per game which would have been 123.6 targets over a 16-game span, would have been 71 receptions with his 2019 reception pace, and his 16-game pace stats would have been 71 receptions for 980 yards and nine touchdowns. Now, I expect that touchdown rate to go down because it, I think it was 12.2%, and um, he's been his, – his career average is like 6.8%, I think. So – you know, if we're putting him at like 7%, it's going to be a lot, something right around there. It, he's going to be a lot closer to like six touchdowns or, or, or even, you know, five touchdowns, depending on how the pendulum swings. But point is, once again, you're drafting him around that like wide receiver 40 range. And like, I honestly think he has more of a ceiling than, uh, than Edelman. And, and so, you know, it might not be a huge difference when it's all said and done, but I mean, if he ends up with 200 points or, or, you know, or 190 points or something like now you're talking about possibly even like a wide receiver two, you know, in this kind of format. And that could be huge when you're drafting at wide receiver 40 prices. Yeah. He, he actually, he wasn't, you know, he didn't get drafted in the mock that I was doing. So that's, that's 14 rounds that he, he wasn't drafted. Right. So that, that is, that's wild because he, he should be drafted somewhere. Like, at all. Like, it's kind of crazy. Like, Shepard and Slayton both were drafted. So, that might show you, like, Tate might really be huge, huge value in something like this. That means he's pro he probably went, would have gone off as wide receiver 50 or, or even later than that. So, definitely <laughs> someone to keep in mind. Um, and now, our last position, we're going to look at tight end. We're going to give you a tight end piece. The guy I went with... Um, it's kind of been a theme for me so far as age <laughs> outside of Duke Johnson, I guess, but I guess even for running backs, Duke's getting a little old now, but I, I picked Greg Olson. Now I think with the way Scott Fishbowl is set up, 
if you don't grab Kelsey Kittle Ertz, um, I don't really know if it's worth it to, to go tight end early. And it's more of just because after that, we start to see bigger drop-offs and things like that. And so if I'm waiting later, I think Greg Olson's a, a very good guy to try to grab that people just have probably forgotten even exists. Hell, half the league probably thinks he's retired because um, I think he almost did, or he, he was about to be retired. He was doing announcing already. Now he goes to Seattle and yeah, they have um, big country out there. And, and he, he's been, you know, he's been really good. And even last year we saw Hollister and big, sorry for people that know big country is um, Disley, Will Disley. I think he went to Montana or something like that. I just remember people calling him big country. And so he, that dude's just been wrecked with injuries. He had his, I think his patella torn and he just had his Achilles torn. Like I, I just really don't see him being a threat for much of anything. And then they signed Hollister basically off the street. And that dude got 59 targets. Um, 51 of the, like in the first two games, he had eight targets, but then the last eight games that he played once he was like actually playing, I think it was like 70% of the snaps or more. He had 51 targets. So he actually would have been on pace for a hundred targets. This is a guy straight off the street. You're telling me Greg Olson can't beat this guy and be the lead tight end on that team on a team that targets the tight end over the last three years, an average of 20% of the time. Um, last time Wilson had like just a solid tight end, right? Jimmy G he targeted him 17.4% of the time. This, like, to me, Olsen's a guy that could get you 90 targets this year. I could easily see somewhere between 80 and 90 targets. Um, it wasn't like he was really hampered by injury last year at all. People keep thinking, like, he's, he's injured and he's done because he had two years where he had, like, the foot injury and some other stuff. He just had a concussion last year. That was really it that took him off the, you know, took him off the field for a couple games, but – he actually had a really good season last year. Um, and that was with absolute, you know, poor bottom level quarterback play from guys like Kyle Allen that we've already mentioned. So he gets one of the most accurate quarterbacks that we know loves his tight ends, especially in the red zone, right? Jimmy G was feeding in the red zone with, um, with Wilson. I think Olsen is a guy that's going to sneak up on people and be someone that, that, you know, especially in a format like this, could get you much better numbers than where he's being drafted. Yeah, I was looking through the list of tight ends, and I completely agree with Cresson, which we try not to do, but <laughs> every once in a while it happens. And, uh, you know, I don't really see too many other tight ends that I would really want to, to draft or, like, focus on. But Olsen might be one if you miss those top guys that you just punt the position completely and go get Olsen at that point. Um, that being said, I do think Ian Thomas has a chance, but I mean, it's definitely not a guarantee, but it kind of goes back to, you know, what I was talking about before where, you know, they're going to throw the ball 600 plus times. He's going to have a target share. We don't know exactly what it's going to be, but you know, even a, just a small target share with 600 attempts is still pretty good. And uh, he averaged 5.2 targets in the five games that he had over a 40% snap share in, in the 2019 season. And over a 16-game pace, that would have been uh, 83.2 targets, which I'm not banking on those targets. But, I mean, even if he's just – even if he's in the 70s, 
that's still decent for where you're going to get Ian Thomas. And like his efficiency was not good by any means in 2019. But, you know, once again, that, you know, Crescent just said like it was Kyle Allen throwing the ball. No one's efficiency was good last year. DJ Moore could have been the wide receiver one last year, but he had Kyle Allen throwing the ball. <laughs> and yes, I am kidding, but Crescent's losing his mind over there. Uh, but point is, is that like he is the only tight end there now. And so, you know, it's just, it just makes a lot of sense in the late rounds. If you're punting tight end, there's going to be a lot of other guys with bigger question marks than Thomas, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. I, I think people are going to be looking at, you know, obviously like if you're going late tight end, a lot of people love John O they want to take Fawn and, and Hawkinson and guys like that. And that's, that's cool. I feel like it's one of those things where it's a dart throw with these tight ends at this point, but I just look for, I want a good quarterback who I think is going to be slinging the ball. So they need to either be really accurate like Wilson or they need to be throwing it a bunch like we'll probably see Teddy Bridgewater doing, right? So that's that's kind of what we're we're aiming for when it comes to these tight ends, these late tight ends anyways. We're actually at a unique spot where we could potentially see Kelsey or Kittle or both. I don't think both will be there, but I think maybe Kittle will be there. Um, and we might be able to take one of those tight ends early. So we're, we're interested. If you guys have any ideas of what you think we should be doing at the turns or anything like that, you can always comment. Um, you can even DM us. Like we'll take any info where we're, this is our first Scott fishbowl. We're just trying to, to have some fun with it. We're trying to represent for not only the monocle, but also for fantasy football 24 seven and for our, our little happy hour network that we have because um, we have a few, few members that are in it as well. So if you guys have any advice or anything you would love to share, we're all ears. Hopefully this, you know, this little pod can give you an insight into what Scott Fishbowl is like and get you to sign up. You can actually go sign up right now for Scott Fishbowl 11. I think they're hoping for it to be live. So I, normally these drafts are going to be online slow drafts, but I think next year they want to do it live. So if you're interested, go sign up now, try to get in because I think next year hopefully we'll be, rid of um, COVID-19 and we'll be able to actually do that and have a really like a huge blast. Like, I think that'll be a lot of fun. It'll probably be like 2000 people next year. I mean, they're just going to have to keep ramping it up because so many people want in. And I mean, you know, obviously I didn't get in this year and there was, you know, so many people that didn't, it's not just me, but um, you know, so many people are, are just so disappointed when, when they don't get that invite and I get it. It's, it's a big deal. So, you know, I could see them pushing it up to 1600 next year, 1800, something around there. And eventually it being some like 2400 man league, <laughs> which is crazy, but it's already crazy. So I can't imagine it would be that different to, to go a little bit bigger. All right. So hopefully, you know, I, I know that this is kind of a, a smaller realm of uh, listeners that are probably going to actually listen to this pod, but hopefully you guys gain some info from it. Uh, I know, you know, like Crescent said, we are very excited about it. And so just doing the research for this was, was good for our team, <laughs> even if it wasn't, in, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily be great for everyone. But uh, I, I did want to mention that our Patreon members over at Fantasy Football 24-7 are going to be hearing our uh, our next roundtable that we're going to be recording in, uh, I believe, two days. And so it's basically all of us at Fantasy Football 24-7. We all get together. We do a roundtable podcast, and that's just for the Patreon members. 
we just brought in a new member to our Patreon team, and that's Chris Miles, uh, the draft director. He's at Chris Miles 1017. And so definitely go give him a follow. But we're excited to see what he can bring to those uh, Patreon-only pods. And so if you're not a member yet, consider going over there and, and joining. I believe it's only four dollars for you know a certain tier. It's, it's two, four, and seven. You know, so like there's different tiers, and uh, I don't know exactly what you get for each tier, but go check it out. It explains it in detail, and uh, you know you, you can go ahead and catch that next roundtable before it even comes out. And Chris actually he dropped an art article about Scott Fishbowl as well. So if you're interested, he talks a little bit about some strategy stuff. Um, so you can go give that a quick read. Like it's a really quick, easy read. It's a, probably about like five, six minute read, but um, he dropped that this morning. I believe it's free. So you can check it out for free and, and click on it. Um, definitely recommend it. If you're in Scott Fishbowl or if you're thinking about changing your strategy, like your, your settings on your league to something like this, like this is always something important to do as well. Like if you, you want to change your league, you need to always have, reasonings and arguments and so like referencing this podcast referencing um you know even the commissioner was it commission impossible podcast where they first introduced the scoring settings and stuff like that they talk a little bit about it as well and so you know like i think this is they're always trying to tweak the settings in scott fishbowl to to make them more fair and more fun and more challenging and i think that's what we all want in fantasy football and I think this could be something that starts to become more of a, a natural league setting. Um, Cause I know some of the other Scott Fishbowl settings have actually become, you know, basically standard format for a lot of people. And so I could see this being the wave of the future as well. Yeah. We just recently implemented the um, 0.1 points for uh, first down in our latest uh, happy hour league. So you know, it's not a huge deal. It doesn't make a, a giant difference, but it does make a difference. And especially for some of those players like a Derrick Henry or like a David Montgomery or some somebody like that. I mean, the NFL team is valuing them quite a bit, but in fantasy, they don't always get valued. But by giving them those that point one, you know, point three or whatever you want to give them for a first down, it actually uh, does give them a little bit of a boost. And, and, you know, it makes them a lot more valuable or it can make them a lot more valuable. That being said, we'll probably do another pod where we like literally just go over different strategies for commissioners and, and ways to better your, your league and make it more fun, uh, get you know more trades happening and, and things of that nature. Uh, but we'll be doing that in the future. But until then, we're cashing out.